Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Real Deal Show, presented by ebodyboarding.com and Tribe Boards. On today's episode... Getting rash vest ripped off, you know, leash ripped off, you know, fin hanging off and just being in like, <laughs> still in the impact zone and being like, what am I doing here and how am I going to get out of it? But... Hey folks, Jay Real here, on location in El Salvador for another episode of The Real Deal Show, and I have a very special guest. I say that about all my guests, <laughs> that they're very special, Damn. but you truly are. Thanks. Robert John Barber. <laughs> yeah, I got his middle name, too. So Rob Barber is here with me today, and we're stoked to have you, Rob. Can I shake your hand? Yeah, dude? thanks, Jay. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate no it. No worries, man. Glad to have you here. So let's talk a little bit about, first of all, why we're here in El Salvador. Rob, which we're going to get into in a minute, is from the United Kingdom, and he runs, among other things, a business called Bodyboard Holidays. And Bodyboard Holidays, I'm going to let you talk about it, but we're not going to get into that just yet. We're going to get into the meat of why we're here in El Salvador in a minute. But let's talk about Rob Barber, Rob. So um, you grew up in the same town that you live now, right? And where is that? Uh, New King Cornwall. Okay, yeah. so that's on the southern part of. It's in the southwest peninsula of England. Okay. On the north coast of that peninsula, so. Got it. Yeah, it's the surfing hub of the UK. It is, and I've been there, and there's some really good surf there. Crazy, crazy tides, which we'll also get into in a minute. But let's go back. Let's go back in time. Back in time with Rob Barber. Um, you. Grew up there. Tell me about your upbringing. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've you got a sister, older sister called Adele. Okay. Yeah. Um, my mum and dad moved down to Newquay in Cornwall from Yorkshire, where I was born. Okay. Uh, in the north of England, um, just to sort of live the dream. In a, they bought a guest house and wanted to sort of leave the frozen north behind and come yeah. down to the bright sunny days that you get in Newquay. Yeah, that's that's how I ended up living there and stoked that I did because it's kind of given me this life of bodyboarding which would never have included if I was kind of up north still so so how old were you when you moved down I was, there I was two yeah okay so, so you don't even remember that. Yorkshire no, no. right no, nothing of the pudding fame <laughs> Yorkshire pudding that's horrible humor on my part but um, let's talk about you as a little kid did you play other sports what was your interests Oh, what yeah. were your interests at that time, growing up? Sure, well, when I was growing up, I was really, really uh, into playing football. Okay, soccer, and soccer we're, we call that soccer in the yeah. United States, of course. Um, yeah, and then, um, and then, yeah, as soon as I was old enough, really, by the time I went to secondary school, all of my friends played football and went surfing or bodyboarding. Yeah. And so, yeah, just started doing that, and then before I knew it, I... Um, I, I was buying my first board, which was a second-hand board, and, and, and getting down to the beach with them on a daily basis, and yeah, just getting stuck into, well, surfing and bodyboarding, but I kind of was more passionate about bodyboarding, had a little crew of, of friends that were really into it, so yeah, we just go every day. So you um, you started bodyboarding at what age? What, what was uh, that? It would have been age 11, properly. And did you morph away from football at that point because you were so into no, bodyboarding? You're still playing. Still playing football all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, then that kind of went down the bodyboarding pathway <coughs> when I was more like sort of 16, say. Yeah, yeah. When, okay. Because I was trying to 
there wasn't enough time to do both, you know. And because probably by that time you had started competing. Yeah. Maybe, right? Yeah, so same. that was taking up all your time at that point. Competitions were most weekends at that stage, and they were the same time what football matches were on. So, yeah, had to go one way or the other, and bodyboarding was generally more fun. So, and so how did your parents take to the fact that you wanted to go bodyboarding instead of playing football? Because well, football yeah. is basically a religion in totally the UK, is. right? Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, they were cool about it. Yeah, they were just... As any parents are, like worried about you going to the beach on your own until you get to a certain age, but then they just realised that it was my passion and sort of supported me in it. Yeah, it was cool. Were yeah. you really into one specific team, or and are you still? Well, Sheffield Wednesday was. That's where I'm, I'm. I was born in Halifax, then moved to Sheffield, and then moved to Cornwall. So, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday has always been the team that I've supported. But is that a Premier League team? No, no, no. no they're. Uh, they've they've had a. a Pretty rough history in the last sort of fifteen years. And so you're pretty good when I was a kid, but and you're yeah. hanging with them. Hanging with them. You good got for it. you, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm not just a Manchester United and Liverpool fan. Like you're not a bandwagon fan. Exactly. Good for you. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, Americans are a lot more in tune now with the Premier League and sure. that whole thing big. than they used to be. Of course, we talked the other day about Ted Lasso, the TV show, and how that's brought. Um, English football into the American zeitgeist, if you will, Got ya. Got um, ya. way more than it ever was before. So, did you live close enough to the beach you could walk, or did you have to get rides? Well, I did live fairly close to the beach, and then unfortunately my parents split up when I was probably about 16, 15, 16, before I could drive, yep. and then I used to just ride my mountain bike to the beach with the old Rat Pack board bag on the back. I don't know yeah. if they had that brand over in no. California, but yeah, it's just a massive board band like a sail on your back as you're riding down the road. <laughs> just, yeah, such hard work pedaling against the wind. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's how you used to do it. It built character, so, Exactly, though. yeah. So, you know, in the UK, obviously, you have to be a hearty soul to bodyboard year-round. Did you start year-round right off the bat, or did it take a while to make you know to buy all the gear and all that sure, stuff Sure, yeah probably probably having been doing it for a year then kind of started doing it all year round okay but yeah that was a different kettle of fish back then as you know from being a kid and surfing in cooler water in the winter yourself it was hardcore wasn't it you know yeah. the suits were so bad yes. in comparison to how bad they are now i know so yeah it was full on but now it's not so bad but yeah Jesus, that then it was yeah. shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so you were getting into it full time at age 16. You basically committed yourself to bodyboarding. Where did you start competing? Uh, well, there was competitions locally in Newquay, and then there was national competitions as well in sort of Croyd and Devon and other parts of Cornwall and other parts of the country and Wales sometimes. So, like the national schools championships used to go there. But when I was 16, I went in the 360 bodyboard tour, which was the biggest ever bodyboard tour. So 360 being a, a magazine based in yeah. the UK, it was a bodyboarding magazine back then. That's right, yeah. So so yeah, I won that tour. So that was kind of like the time that wow. I realized that it was kind of, you know, I should give it a proper go and yeah. get some sponsors and stuff like that. So yeah, that was, that was the first well, no, they were they were the biggest events of the time. Yeah, yeah there was lo it was just a. Str I think it's probably the same with California, as I understand. There were loads of events when you're younger. Right, now there's not so many, and yep. it's the same now in the UK. So yeah, we were competing every weekend. It's brilliant and really good for improving, you know, because you you're battling against your peers weekend after weekend. Yeah, so, yeah, and that's how that kind of 
hot um, crew of bodyboarders, Bjorn Story, Danny Wall, all those guys, sort of, all, we all came through together. Carl, yeah, you all worked your way up the ranks yeah, together. Exactly. And then Prisk, yeah. talk about that. Let, you worked your way up the ranks and you eventually competed on a broader scale in some European events, right? That's right, yeah. So I started going to, so back in the day, you'd, you'd qualify for the, you'd go in the English national titles, and then if you won that or got highly placed in that, you'd make it into the English team. Yep. And then you'd then go and travel down to Europe and compete against the other European nations yeah. in the European championships. And then, um, and then you'd also get in the British nationals, and if you placed highly in that, you'd get in the British team and travel to the world championships, the ISA Surfing Games, as it's not named now. And it was epic, because you basically did all right in comps every year, yeah. and you got to go in the English or British team. So, yeah, that was a massive kind of um, uh, launch pad for sure. all of us around that age to be kind of traveling more, getting a bit more worldly yeah. making connections and networking with all the other bodyboarders and seeing what those other riders from around the world were doing and competing against them because that was pre-internet time so you weren't seeing them until you were seeing them face to face sure you know? so yeah it's sick and something that the current um crop of bodyboards in the uk is sorely missing out on they so. don't know yeah 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 that was a cool time so mm. you obviously were at the pinnacle of the sport in the uk and in europe Tell me about a couple of your most memorable titles. Well, um, I would say the, the most memorable competition would have been when I went um, to Hawaii, where yep. I, I saw you so many years ago, went in the pipe contest and be placed the highest ranked European in, in that pipe event. Yeah. Um, and then other comps uh, went, I, I guess, doing competitions around the UK and, and placing Harley and most of them. I think I won over thirty comps during my career. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. They, they were. They were. It was super fun, and they still are. You know, everybody says to me now, "So, what was it like when you were competing?" But I still compete. You know, yeah. it's whenever there's comps, really. And as Mike Stewart and Kelly Slater are showing, it's yes. an ageless thing as long as you can keep on top of your game. So right. That's yeah. the mission. And it becomes harder. You can stay fit and keep moving and keep in the water. You can, you know, stay competitive pretty yeah. late in life, yeah. so to speak. Um, so you obviously reached the pinnacle of competition in the UK. You were British champ. Mm -hmm. Um, were you European champ as well no, at one stage? No, I never didn't reach European that. European champ, yeah. But no, you were the top European in the pipe event, which is a major deal. Yeah. Um, you know, early on when there weren't a ton of great European riders back in those days. Sure. There's no PLC. There was, you no. know, the, none the, of those guys around. Probably the most competitive thing back then was um, was that there was competition tours. Yes. Around the UK, so rather than winning, say, the British Nationals, you, you could be in a tour that you would then try and win the tour. And I won a couple of tours in my time, which was, so, uh, you know, something that I always held in the biggest sort of, um, you know, I, I felt was the biggest achievement. You know, yeah. That was a battle in different conditions, different events yeah so yeah that was cool really good yeah and so much fun now you mentioned obviously you went to pipeline we talked about that but what was it like your first trip to hawaii was you were you terrified or yeah. were you super excited about that yeah excited and terrified at the same time yeah measures, you know, which is like, how i was yeah. too yeah yeah but it was great because it was a good, real good focus and again that's another thing i'd say to the groms now it's like 
that focus of having that goal where you know you're going to challenge yourself in the most heavy ways in the world yeah gives you that sort of um you know you, you you've got n nothing on your mind other than getting fit and yep. preparing yourself so breath work and surfing all the time and you know weights and cardio and all those things just to get yourself in the peak physical so condition. you did all of that yeah. stuff fully yeah. trained fully trained hard yeah yeah That's but awesome, i thought say you had to because if you then go to the to the that you know it cost so much money back then yeah it cost plenty of money now but when you're a younger guy you, and you're spending your butt but sponsor budget yeah you've got to make it count and yeah so yes so yeah it was it was it, it was cool because there was a crew of brits that went and like one guy signed himself up for a um a high dive board um sort of coaching session so that it could help him go over the oh ledge of pipe yeah, no Craven, way. That was. stuff oh like that God. we all had our little regimes that's so but cool yeah it was sick I, it was a really memorable trip but yeah epic give me one terrifying moment that you had in hawaii because uh, we all you everyone who goes there for the first time you have a terrifying totally. moment. well uh, you know i remember getting destroyed at pipeline a few times you know like yeah. paddling out and just it's so funny because having just watched the pipe contest with you today the wsl pipe contest seeing slater paddling in at back to put, like him being paddling out at back door and then waves about to break and him having to turn paddle towards the shore yeah I don't actually right. recall doing that yeah. anywhere in the world except Hawaii except Hawaii because you know you're going to get obliterated if yeah. you get in that V aren't you you know so um, so yeah just, just getting rash vest ripped off you know sh leash ripped off you know fin hanging off and just being in like <laughs> still in the impact zone and being like what am i doing here and how am i going to get out of it but, but that and also hitting the reef um cutting my knee and then getting really ill and not knowing what it was and oh. not really having much money and having weeks left until i was getting home and then anyway i got home and worked out so, so well because i got staff oh yeah yeah so it was it was pretty hectic she didn't clean the the cut out no. properly and you probably kept surfing exactly with the cut knee yeah. as we do when we're young and stupid yeah, right exactly. so. um okay so you had this epic career as a bodyboarder in the uk you reached the pinnacle of uk bodyboarding and at some point you moved into the administrative side of things let's yeah. talk about that you worked for 360 magazine who we mentioned and was that your first foray sort of away from competition or I know you also had some involvement in the administrative side of running competitions yeah. over there yeah so I, I I helped run competitions yeah from fairly early age really just because we were all chipping in to help out okay you know what I mean to make sure things still carried on happening yeah um, and I got into judging so I was doing quite a lot of judging at various events and um, uh, but yeah I was at college doing my degree in business and finance and I got the opportunity to, but basically I was, I was still, I was competing through all through college, getting paid by my sponsors and, and, um, and trying to make it work, studying and competing and traveling all at the same time. And, um, and so then I started supplementing my income by writing for 360 contest reports, profiles, uh, you know, equipment reviews, stuff like that. Yeah. And then, I went to them and said, look, I'm going to leave college soon, Shall I, can I get a full-time job with you? And they said, we haven't got a full-time job with, for you. And at the same time, well, it, within the same week, randomly, another 
uh, bodyboard magazine launched called British Sponger magazine. Oh. And they offered me the job of, of edit as editor. Wow, I don't remember that. Really? Man. Wow. Yeah, I think it only went for about <coughs> five issues. Johnny Burt was the editor. Oh, wow. Him and a guy called Tim and another guy called Roger Sharp. Anyway, so I went back to 360 and said, oh, I've just been offered a job for the other magazine. They were like, oh, we can get you a job. Suddenly we it. found yeah, a full-time yeah. job for you. So it kind of worked out to my benefit because then British Sponge ended up sort of, you know, disbanding. Oh. And so I carried on working for 360 and I was in the, the golden era that we were talking about earlier on where there was sponsorship money floating around and, yeah. and um, budgets and you could... Well, I remember when I worked for 360, I, I had five paid trips a year from the magazine wow. where I just look at the look at literally the world map and go, right, I want to go here. I want to take some bodyboarders and surfers and a photographer to you know wherever Papua New Guinea, or, you know at wherever. Smart and they paid for it. Yeah, they paid for it. Oh, ultimately, it wasn't them that paid for it because the sponsor. You know, so I'd take say three surfers and two bodyboarders. Yep. And the money that their, their sponsors were paying for the ad revenue and the you know you know how it works. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So yeah, it's sick. It's such a golden time. Yeah. And how long did that last? Probably best part of 10 years I reckon wow yeah 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 probably about maybe seven years yeah but then I was working for Carve magazine as yes. well same magazine their group. sister magazine and surf surfing girl. magazine yeah. called Carve yeah and then writing the books as well so oh, yeah. board instructional manuals and uh, Born to Boogie the history mm -hmm. of book and other books so yeah it was epic times yeah you know, just like reaching out to pros like yourself and doing articles on them, you know, Aussie yep. pros and yeah, you know, it was it was great. It was something I was super passionate about and I was getting to write about and, and, and immerse myself in on a daily basis. And so, that's yeah. a great book, by the way, Born to Boogie. Yeah. Uh, it's a collector's item if you're a bodyboarder and you're passionate about it. Seek it out. We used to sell them, but I, I'm sure you can find them mm, somewhere, yeah, right, on online. Yeah. Yeah, Amazon. Yeah, so Owen Pye did most of the writing. He did an amazing job. Yes. Yeah. I remember Owen interviewed me and many other people, and it's, yeah, it's a good snapshot of the history of the sport. So, sure. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you are just the multimedia maniac. I mean, you've had your hands in every aspect of the sport from – being a recreational bodyboarder, eventually competitive bodyboarder, then involved in running contests, involved in the media side of the contest, and that all dovetails into what eventually became your full-time gig now, right? Or was yeah. there something in between you working for the mags and what you do now? Yeah. So when I was working at the mag, I, I was I was I, I was looking out for other ways of making more money because. Whilst I've said all that about the mag being an amazing lifestyle, it was a lifestyle, not a, a huge revenue creator. Right. But you know, life's not always all sure. about that. You know. Yeah. So, um, but I was like, I need, I want to make some more money. And actually, Louise uh, Searle at the magazine was like, Why don't you start your own bodyboard school? Because there's loads of surf schools. So yeah. Started started a bodyboard school and then advertised it in the magazine. Got qualified and all the you know lifeguard qualifications and bits and pieces, insurance wise and then started developing these lesson plans for teaching people to bodyboard and helping people who bodyboard to improve more. And yeah, that was that was really cool. And I actually then got asked by the British team to coach the bodyboarders in the British team because I wasn't competing at the time. Well, I wasn't in the British team. And um, 
And that actually led to me then coaching surfers in the British team as well, which was really cool because I then got to travel with the British team to loads of events in like Ecuador, Portugal, South Africa, uh, California. Yeah. And ultimately, um, I coached the British team to place eighth at the World Surfing Games, which is the best result we've ever had, Britain's ever That's had. That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. Me and a guy called Paul Jeffries with the with the coaches and yeah we, 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 that was epic so um, before you move on i have to ask they knew you were a bodyboarder yeah and you were coaching surfing yeah. was there any sort of bias or i'm trying to think yeah, any prejudice I mean, against you yeah, like as their coach or I mean, no, yeah animosity not, thanks not really because they were all my friends who we'd grown okay. up with anyway as you can imagine got it but but i was like from the off i'm not this isn't by the time you get to the world championships, you're not, cha- you know, nobody's gonna, you're not gonna say, put more weight on your inside rail or whatever, you know, they can Right, surf, they know they? how to do that. It's just about getting through heat. Sure. And I'd obviously spent a lot of time getting through heat, so yes. it was all about, you know. Strategy, tactics, strategy, tactics yeah. Peak to surf, you know. Right. Helping them chill before the event. Totally. You know, and then anything to do with which board to use and stuff like that was, yeah. was down to either themselves or or, or, or you know say poorly the technical coach sort of thing so yeah it was epic epic wow. but, but yeah so anyway I I started my bodyboard school and that that was fun and then I realized living in Newquay that is the surfing hub of the UK there's way more demand for teaching surfing so I started teaching people to surf as well so then I launched a surf school so I had a surf school a bodyboard school and I was working at the magazine so and so you're hiring people to help teach exactly. and staff to run That's the exactly behind so the scenes I hired yep. a guy called Aidan Salmon yep. of Bali Bodyboarding fame right. um, who, he was not uh, anything to do with that at the time obviously this was roll back 20 years or so and so he was running the surf school teaching bodyboarding for me as well whilst I was working at the mag yep. we were making that happen together which was sick with so, so many good memories of that era and um, and then yeah, built a team from there to who could who could who could who could do that, and then ultimately, then the internet came along, so the magazine sort of de- decreased in popularity, yeah. or there was less sponsor. I think it maintained its popularity, but sponsors didn't want to pay to advertise, so it went the way of every other print magazine, you know, it seems yep. in the surfing world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I then stepped into doing the surfing lessons in the bodyboarding school, surf school and bodyboard school, uh, with more of a focus. And it was then that I I, I, I rebranded it, the Nuki Activity Center, and it added um, a stack more activities, surfing, bodyboarding, kayaking, stand-up paddleboarding, co-steering, all those things that I felt got the best out of the coast on every single condition. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's my main income to this day with which I've got a center in Newquay which is quite prominent on 4th Street in Newquay and we're always looking to develop into different activities and then my bodyboard school developed into bodyboard holidays yes yeah. so okay so that's a, a good segue into bodyboard holidays which is why we're here in El Salvador right now so talk about the beginnings of bodyboard holidays well Newquay's a very sort of focused tourist town with a super busy period in uh, June, July and August. Yeah. And so we do every business in Newquay does 80% of its revenue during those three months and then trickles along at the other side with most businesses closing. Yeah. uh, You know, from September, October onwards. Um, And I was like, 
I, I, I saw this peak in the summer and, and that it was really hard to manage because you had to have loads of instructors that were good and available to work for you during that period and then those instructors would then have nothing to do all winter so they'd go off and get other jobs or become a carpenter or electrician. You have to retrain like, a new staff the next year. Exactly, so I was like, how can I keep these guys engaged? So I was like, what about if I start getting the customers from, from the summer and taking them on trips in the winter? Yeah. So I was like, well, I've been to the Canary Islands loads of times. My dad used to live there for a period and I'd actually, funnily enough, going back to that 360 series of competitions that I won when I was 16, I won a ticket to go to the Canary Islands on a photo shoot. Oh wow! To Lanzarote, so I, I'd sort of ah, fallen cool. in love with it back then. Yeah, because it was my first kind of like opened my eyes to riding waves in different countries. Yeah, so, anyway, I knew Lanzarote really well, so I was like, right, I'll just do a week-long camp to Lanzarote, and it was really popular. And so I just started doing them all the all the time through the winter, like one a, one a, every month. Well, hold on. When you started, though. There's a lot of logistics behind running a camp like that. Obviously, you got to reach out to people in the destination. Yeah. You have to, in some way, shape, or form, vet the people that are coming on the trip to make sure they have the skill set to handle the type of waves. Yeah. And, thirdly, the insurance. I mean, yeah. did you deal with all of that, or did you just fly yeah. by the seat of no, your pants no, and say, let's all, just go, no insurance, nothing? No, it was all legit. Yeah. Wow. Like, um, so you went through all the steps to yeah. get all that sorted totally. out. Yeah, it was a mission. But because I already had the surf school, I already had the contacts and the insur you know, the correct insurance oh, true. Yes. people to speak to, should we say. Yeah. Um, so that was a hurdle that wasn't as challenging as it would be for somebody who was, who was just starting. Sure. You know what I mean, you've got quite a big policy already and you can tag bits on top. Oh, yeah. So, um, so that was good. And obviously I was trained, which is the other big thing, you know, yep. that had the lifeguard qualifications and other bits and pieces that you need. And, um, and then, yeah, I just looked for accommodation to use over there and then scouted out the brakes that would be most suitable. Um, to the varied ability groups that I got, developed an enrollment form which pretty much encompassed everything I needed to know before the guests arrived. Yes. And then, yeah, ran it myself. So it was, yeah, it was a mission at first, getting everything right, hire cars and which break to go to, lots of big decisions to make on sure. a daily basis. But yeah, it was sick, such a good time, like really look at it as some of the best times of my whole life. At the sure. very beginning. Yeah, at the beginning, yeah. And then from there, the guests were coming to Lanzarote, and some of them were saying, I've been to Lanzarote five times now, Rob. Where are you going? Can we go somewhere wow, else? Because okay. they'd hear me talking about Bali and other places that I traveled, yeah. but I was kind of slightly resistant to do it to other places because I felt as though I had such a good package in Lanzarote. Why yeah. was I going to? I knew the effort it was going to take to set it up elsewhere, but then the demand was there. And I figured that if I started setting it up in different territories around the world, I'd attract different people from different markets, different right. global areas of bodyboarding. You sure. know, there's only so many of us around the world. I may as well try and position one in Asia and one in Central America and one in California and you know one in multiple trips in Europe yeah. and one in Africa. And then it's kind of all these territories are getting the facility to access them reasonably easy. And it's sort of worked out you know over a long period of time i just added trips and the fun thing was going doing recon in different areas to you know find a place that's going to be off of the right waves at the right time of the year making local contacts and networking and kind of doing what we're doing here again at the moment in el salvador yeah aren't we so yeah so yeah it's uh it was um 
a labor of love. Now, sure. yeah, so, I mean, did you do all this over the internet? Or you did you physically say, I'm going to go to this place first with me and one or two other people and check it out and s- scout out all the stuff I need to run a trip here? Or did you just go on the internet and say, oh, this place looks good, let's book that? and A combination of both. Mix of that. But, but, but mainly, uh, you know, right back then, the internet wasn't like it was is now, yeah. you know what I mean? So everything to using those old surf reports that you get from Surfer Magazine to word of mouth, Yeah. speaking to other bodyboarders. I remember distinctly one bodyboarder saying to me, um, it's called Chris Inch, saying to me, there's a left-hand wedge in Nicaragua and the, and the, uh, and the, the wind is permanently offshore. It's a phenomena. You have to go there. And I was like, I have to run a bodyboard camp there. Do you know what I mean? So, so you left- did it without so I, having been. Well, no, I, I went oh, there and recce it. checked it out. Yeah. yeah. And then the beauty at the time was there was a crossover period where I was working at the mag and I was developing my bodyboard holidays so I could go to somewhere, say this wedge in Nicaragua yep. and run a magazine article, get to know the area and then be like, yep, I'll do a trip here. Double dipping, context, yes. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was sick. Yeah, like it worked out really well it, yeah. it, through that period to be able to kind of transfer the the knowledge and need in, in each location. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. What year was the those first trips to Lanzarote? Uh, they would have been 2005. So would that have been the birth of Bodyboard Holidays? Yeah. And it is now 2022. So you do the math on that. That's 17 years mm. this guy has been taking bodyboarders around the globe to really the most exotic destinations in the world and some of the trips are more beginner friendly i'll say right and there's certain trips that you require a certain level of ability to go to talk about those ones well just to pitch it clearly because this is something there's a lot of confusion about because bodyboard holidays is uh, definitely appeals to people that would like to improve their bodyboarding. Yep. That's something that we, we, we make clear. Coaching is part of the package. Yep. But coaching doesn't have to be part of the package. For example, if Jay Real joined my trip, I'm mm-hmm. not going to start breaking down how to drop knee every five minutes because you clearly know how to do that. But you will get a fantastic photography package, yeah. guide into the best spot every day, um, and and many other benefits. But But there are definitely trips where we get individuals that really want to improve their bodyboarding from basic spins and things to, you know, airs and the top level yeah. stuff. But, but to answer your question, there's trips like Sumatra where we, where we do go to what I think are the best ways in the world. And in order for individuals to get the most out of that, then I always recommend that they have a certain level of yeah. bodyboarding ability. And I'm sure you've had trips where people oversold their ability levels. 100%. And you get there and it's, a, it's I don't want to say a bloodbath, but it's difficult, right? Uh, yeah. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed part one of the Rob Barber interview. This is a long one, so I've split it up into two parts. Part two, coming next week.